This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston. And once again, I'm so grateful to spend this time with you each week as we take a closer look at the church's mission of evangelization and how we are each called to do our part to bring the good news of the saving love of Jesus Christ to the world. And this week, we've got a special Christmas edition of the show, so I look forward to sharing some reflections and music with you all. But first, I have to be honest with you. I thought that as I grew older, the enchantment and delight of the Christmas season might fade a little, in the sense that when we're children, we have that kind of wide-eyed wonder about this beautiful time of year. There was that anticipation of Christmas morning and how that built up in the days leading up to it. There was all the excitement of presents and special treats and parties, and of course there was the lovely music and twinkling lights, not to mention a few extra days off from school. So yeah, I thought some of that spirit of astonishment and enthusiasm might wane over time and that I would settle into a more matter-of-fact or, or subdued approach to Christmas. But here's the curious thing. I've found that the opposite has actually happened. I've grown to love Advent and Christmas even more. Instead of fading, that sense of wonder has only been amplified by an increased appreciation for what we are really celebrating at this time of year, which means that I think I'm slowly getting the point of what Jesus is saying when He tells us that we must turn and become like children. So a key theme of this show is the proclamation of the gospel. So in keeping with that, I want to start things off with a proclamation. As it's explained on the website of the U.S. Catholic bishops, the announcement or the proclamation of the solemnity of the Nativity of the Lord uh, draws upon sacred scripture to declare in a formal way the birth of Christ. It begins with creation and relates the birth of the Lord to the major events and personages of sacred and secular history. The particular events contained in the announcement help pastorally to situate the birth of Jesus in the context of salvation history. So here is that proclamation of the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The 25th day of December, when ages beyond number had run their course from the creation of the world, when God in the beginning created heaven and earth and formed man in his own likeness, When century upon century had passed since the Almighty set His bow in the clouds after the great flood as a sign of covenant and peace. In the 21st century since Abraham, our father in faith, came out of Ur of the Chaldees. In the 13th century since the people of Israel were led by Moses in the exodus from Egypt. Around the thousandth year since David was anointed king. In the 65th week of the prophecy of Daniel, in the 194th Olympiad, 
in the year 752 since the foundation of the city of Rome, in the 42nd year of the reign of Caesar Octavian Augustus, the whole world being at peace, Jesus Christ, eternal God and Son of the Eternal Father, desiring to consecrate the world by His most loving presence, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and when nine months had passed since His conception, was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem of Judah, and was made man, the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ according to the flesh. Again, if you haven't heard that before, that was the formal proclamation of the Nativity of Our Lord, which is spoken or sung normally during the Liturgy of the Hours on Christmas Eve or at Midnight Mass. And doesn't that last line just kind of ring out, the Nativity of Our Lord Jesus Christ according to the flesh? It drives home this point that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us as we hear in the Gospel of John. And I just love how this does situate the Incarnation within the context of human history, including references to rulers and even the Olympics. This is not a fairy tale or a myth. It's not a story that you can simply tell once a year and then put back on the bookshelf to be revisited when you're feeling a little sentimental or nostalgic. This tells us that God is supremely concerned with humanity. He came marching right into the drama of the human race. God wasn't going to stay in some faraway kingdom and save us from a distance. No, because He is perfect love and love always seeks to draw close, He will draw perfectly close to us. And to be as near as possible, He became one of us. And as we listen to this proclamation, we see how all of history is just rushing to this point, and that all of our own history since then points back to this pivotal moment in time. Truly, we're celebrating the center of all history which exists in our Lord Jesus Christ. And to help us focus on that moment in time, we have the wonderful tradition of the nativity scene which captures in that small space the kind of world that the Lord entered into. And I'll offer more of a reflection on that um, a little later in this episode. But first, just to stay with that idea of the story unfolding over the centuries. Generation after generation, with all the joys and the sorrows and triumphs and sufferings, people wandering and wondering, when will the Messiah come? When will the turn in the story happen? I think I mentioned this on the Christmas episode last year, but my favorite Christmas song is O Holy Night. And while it's a very beautiful tune, it's really the lyrics that have captured my heart. In particular, I love how the song begins. We hear, O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I wonder, do we feel that pining for the Savior? Do we experience that thrill of hope as dawn breaks on Christmas morning? Has the Lord's nativity opened our eyes to the reality of what our soul is truly worth? Do we have a sense that we have truly been rescued and released from the prison of sin and death? In the Book of Wisdom, which was written about 50 years before the coming of Christ, we hear these lines in the 18th chapter. For when peaceful stillness encompassed everything, and the night in its swift course was half spent, your all-powerful word from heaven's royal throne leapt into the doomed land. 
This part of the book is describing how God sent His divine help to liberate the Israelites from the Egyptians. And I remember when I first came across that passage, I thought of a song we sing at this time of year, Lo, how a rose air blooming, where we hear, Lo, how a rose air blooming, from tender stem hath sprung, of Jesse's lineage coming, as those of old have sung. It came a flower bright amid the cold of winter, when half spent was the night. Isaiah twas foretold it, this rose I have in mind. With Mary we behold it, the virgin mother kind. To show God's love aright, she bore to us a Savior, when half spent was the night. I'll play a version of this song in just a moment, but as you listen, just spend some time with this image of the Word of God leaping into a doomed land as a fierce warrior, because that is what happened. Before the coming of Christ, we were under the reign of sin and death. We were, simply put, doomed. But the Incarnation turned everything around, and not in the way that we would have expected. Not in royal magnificence with all the trappings of a king arriving in the middle of the day to the sound of trumpets and crowds, but in the form of a baby, in simplicity and silence, when half spent was the night.
Another favorite Christmas carol is O Little Town of Bethlehem, which was written by an Episcopalian priest who'd been inspired by his visit to the town of Bethlehem in 1865. He wrote a poem for his church, and it was the church organist who set it to music. The poem was based on Micah chapter 2, where it is written, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, least among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient times. We began this episode with the proclamation that went all the way back to ancient times when God was writing the first chapters of this extraordinary story of love and salvation. So now we've arrived at the chapter of the birth of Jesus. So together, let's approach this moment in history which unfolded in this little town of Bethlehem. To help us with this, I want to consider the tradition of the nativity scene. We see this often in homes or in churches or or depicted on Christmas cards or in films. This tradition dates back to the 13th century, when St. Francis of Assisi asked the Pope for permission to reenact the story of the birth of Jesus. He had live actors playing the different characters, and he had live animals and hay and everything else that would help recreate the beauty of that Christmas night. Pope Francis released an apostolic letter in 2019 on the topic of the nativity scene, and he compares this tradition to a living gospel rising up from the pages of sacred scripture. As we contemplate the Christmas story, we are invited to set out on a spiritual journey drawn by the humility of the God who became man in order to encounter every man and woman. We come to realize that so great is His love for us that He became one of us, so that in turn we might become one with Him. Pope Francis reminds us that at that first nativity scene in the caves of Greccio in Italy, a Mass was celebrated. He writes that all those present experienced a new and indescribable joy in the presence of the Christmas scene. The priest then solemnly celebrated the Eucharist over the manger, showing the bond between the incarnation of the Son of God and the Eucharist. At Greccio, there were no statues. The nativity scene was enacted and experienced by all who were present. This is how our tradition began, with everyone gathered in joy around the cave, with no distance between the original event and those sharing in its mystery. I pause there for a moment. I love how the Holy Father says that there were no statues at that first nativity scene in Greccio, where the Mass was celebrated at the manger. Rather, we hear that all who were present participated, and that gets me thinking um, as we enter into the Christmas season, when we go to Mass, when we come together for the family meals and prayers, will we be lively participants or will we be statues? I will tell you this, that statues make for pretty poor evangelizers, so I hope you and I can resist the temptation to just stand perfectly still on the sidelines not proclaiming. Just a little challenge to throw out there. But let's get back to Bethlehem. As Pope Francis just alluded to, the nativity scene provides striking clues as to the identity and mission of Jesus. The very name Bethlehem um, means house of bread, or in other translations, house of flesh. Um, The manger was the place where animals ate their food. So already we're seeing how Jesus will offer himself as our very food so that we might have life within us as we hear in John chapter 6. 
and think of that manger. You know, I think we can agree that the place where Jesus was born probably wasn't very tidy. It was probably messy and smelly and maybe a little crowded. I mean, once you had animals and visiting shepherds in the mix, it was probably getting a little cozy around the manger. But this is more than just painting a sentimental picture. It points to a profound truth that God isn't afraid of the mess and the crowds and the smells. That's exactly where God comes in. And what a reassuring thought for those of us who think that that God might steer clear of us while our lives are in such a state and he'll just come back later. The nativity scene tells us the opposite. That's where Jesus makes his entrance. That's precisely where he wants to transform everything. Even before he writes about the Holy Family in the manger, Pope Francis reflects on the background of the scene. He writes, First, there is the background of a starry sky wrapped in the darkness and silence of night. We represent this not only out of fidelity to the gospel accounts, but also for its symbolic value. We can think of all those times in our lives when we have experienced the darkness of night. Yet even then, God does not abandon us, but is there to answer our crucial questions about the meaning of life. Who am I? Where do I come from? Why was I born at this time in history? Why do I love? Why do I suffer? Why will I die? It was to answer these questions that God became man. His closeness brings light where there is darkness and shows the way to those dwelling in the shadow of suffering. The Holy Father continues, The landscapes that are part of the nativity scene also deserve some mention. Frequently, they include the ruins of ancient houses or buildings, which in some instances replace the cave of Bethlehem and become a home for the Holy Family. More than anything, the ruins are the visible sign of fallen humanity, of everything that inevitably falls into ruin, decays, and disappoints. This scenic setting tells us that Jesus is newness in the midst of an aging world, that he has come to heal and rebuild, to restore the world and our lives to their original splendor. With what emotion should we arrange the mountains, streams, sheep, and shepherds in the nativity scene? As we do so, we are reminded that as the prophets had foretold, all creation rejoices in the coming of the Messiah. The angels and the guiding star are a sign that we too are called to set out for the cave and to worship the Lord. This part of the Pope's reflection really resonated with me because as a child, I would spend hours uh, rearranging the figures in the scene and moving them around and telling little stories about each one. We would place the Magi on the other side of the living room and we'd nudge them forward each day. And they'd usually have to make a mad dash to the stable right before Epiphany because we spent a couple of weeks forgetting to move them forward. I also remember exactly um, what the angel figurines look like and what those felt like in my little hands. I would prop them up on the top of the nativity scene and pretend they were singing. And now I'm just so grateful that every time we sing the Gloria at Mass, we're joining that song of the angels who appear to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Just as every Sunday is like a little Easter, there's a little bit of Christmas in every Sunday, too. And when the shepherds hear the good news from the angels, their response is, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
Pope Francis writes that a beautiful lesson emerges from these simple words. Unlike so many other people busy about many things, the shepherds become the first to see the most essential thing of all, the gift of salvation. It is the humble and the poor who greet the event of the Incarnation. Now, if we can linger here for a moment, I want you to place yourself among the shepherds on that night. You've heard the angels proclaim and sing. You've encountered the baby in the manger. Do you recognize that you have just seen the most essential thing of all, the gift of salvation? I know it gets so busy at this time of year, but I pray that we can enter into this holy season with with a sense that we are witnessing the most important thing, the Word becoming flesh, God sending His only Son so that all who believe in Him might not die but might have eternal life. So to continue with Pope Francis, he writes, Children, but adults too, often love to add to the nativity scene other figures that have no apparent connection with the gospel accounts. Yet each in its own way, these fanciful additions show that in the new world inaugurated by Jesus, there is room for whatever is truly human and for all God's creatures. From the shepherd to the blacksmith, from the baker to the musicians, from the women carrying jugs of water to the children at play, all this speaks of the everyday holiness, the joy of doing ordinary things in an extraordinary way born wherever Jesus shares his divine life with us. Pope Francis also draws our attention to Mary and Joseph. He writes that the figure of Mary makes us reflect on the great mystery that surrounded this young woman when God knocked on the door of her immaculate heart. She responded in complete obedience to the message of the angel who asked her to become the mother of God. In her, we see the mother of God who does not keep her son only to herself, but invites everyone to obey his word and put it into practice. And St. Joseph is there as well. As the Holy Father mentions, he is usually depicted with staff in hand or holding up a lamp. He is the guardian who tirelessly protects his family and who treasured in his heart the great mystery surrounding Jesus and Mary, his spouse. And of course, we have the three kings. Pope Francis writes that, Observing the star, those wise men from the east set out for Bethlehem in order to find Jesus and to offer him their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These costly gifts have an allegorical meaning. Gold honors Jesus' kingship, incense his divinity, myrrh his sacred humanity that was to experience death and burial. The Magi teach us that people can come to Christ by a very long route. Men of wealth, sages from afar, thirsting for the infinite, they set out on the long and perilous journey that would lead them to Bethlehem. Great joy comes over them in the presence of the infant king. They are not scandalized by the poor surroundings, but immediately fall to their knees to worship him. Kneeling before him, they understand that the God, who with sovereign wisdom guides the course of the stars, also guides the course of history casting down the mighty and raising up the lowly. Upon their return home, they would certainly have told others of this amazing encounter with the Messiah, thus initiating the spread of the gospel among the nations. The Holy Father summarizes his reflection on the nativity scene as he writes, With the simplicity of that sign, St. Francis carried out a great work of evangelization. Why does the Christmas crash arouse such wonder and move us so deeply? 
because it shows God's tender love. The creator of the universe lowered himself to take up our littleness. The gift of life in all its mystery becomes all the more wondrous as we realize that the Son of Mary is the source and sustenance of all life. He concludes, Dear brothers and sisters, the Christmas crush is part of the precious yet demanding process of passing on the faith. Beginning in childhood and at every stage of our lives, it teaches us to contemplate Jesus, to experience God's love for us, to feel and believe that God is with us and that we are with Him, His children, brothers and sisters, all thanks to that child who is the Son of God and the Son of the Virgin Mary. And to realize that in that knowledge, we find true happiness. Like St. Francis, may we open our hearts to this simple grace so that from our wonderment, a humble prayer may arise, a prayer of thanksgiving to God, who wished to share with us his all, and thus never to leave us alone. I hope these reflections on the nativity scene have helped you prepare to celebrate the Christmas season. In this representation of the stable, we step into that time when the weary world was holding its breath in anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. The doomed land was waiting for the light to come bursting forth, ushering in a new era. And with that in mind, and as we approach the end of our time together this week, I want to play a song that's called simply, A Light. And I like how this song builds up to the moment when you feel as though light is finally breaking through. And I sincerely hope that you too can experience the light of Christ shining into your own life.
My friends, I wish you a very blessed Christmas. I pray that each of you experience the wonder of the Incarnation and that you feel inspired to bring the joyful news of the Lord's coming to those you encounter. Tell the story of when the Word took flesh and woke up this weary world. Tell the story of when the light and hope of the world was born in a manger and set humanity on a new course. Tell the story of when love came down in order for us to be swept up into the life of God. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to share stories of how God is at work in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.